Do you hear that background noise? That's the sound of the friends that my younger brother invited. In the midst of a global pandemonium, a panoramic, a Panera Bread, if you will, <laughs> on the day that I record. Because of course. So my brothers are finally asleep, everyone is for that matter. Um, and I had to relocate to the basement because everyone is asleep. And this is the only way that I could talk at a normal volume without worrying about waking people up. Because unlike my brothers, I am considerate of my family. Yeah, anyways, let's just get into it. This is enough. Enough preamble. Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of Venting Sesh. I'm your host, Omhanim Suger. Thank you for tuning in. I can't believe it's already March, you guys and gals and anyone who's not performing. Um, time is really flying by. But at the same time, it feels like it's going super slowly. I don't know if that's a common feeling, but like the days and weeks are speeding past me, right? But when I think about a certain point in time, like New Year's, for example, it feels so far away. But I don't know if that says more about me and my constant need to reinvent myself so much so that reflecting on past versions of myself feels like reflecting on an entirely different person. You can see that therapy is working really well for me. Speaking of therapy, if you're attending a post-secondary institution or are affiliated with an organization that offers complimentary counseling, please take advantage of it. Everyone can benefit from it. And I know so many people who are reluctant to start, but trust me, it will change your life. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a psych major. Therapy is objectively good for you. So do yourself a favor and hit up your local clinic. This has been a PSA. I'm going to be totally honest. I waited until the absolute last minute to start working on this episode. I've just been completely swamped with final assignments and work, and I changed the topic last minute because I wasn't feeling inspired, and so I didn't really get the chance to do as much research as I had hoped. But I am quite familiar with the issue we'll be discussing today, so I have faith that I'll make like Victoria and do it justice. <laughs> So what is the subject matter of this episode? Since Women's Day just passed, and it is Women's History Month, I thought I'd talk about an issue that concerns women. Periods and pregnancy. Just kidding. Today, we'll be talking about internalized misogyny. This is quite a fraught term, which I didn't realize until I watched a bunch of videos about it. Because what's so controversial about the ways in which people are indoctrinated to ascribe to widely held and promoted beliefs in a patriarchal society? Let's talk about it. What is internalized misogyny? Wikipedia defines it as sexist behaviors and attitudes enacted by women towards themselves or other women and girls. On a larger scale, internalized sexism falls under the broad topic of internalized oppression, which consists of oppressive practices that continue to make the rounds even when members of the oppressive group are not present. And this is pretty concerning to me. We're essentially giving patriarchy a helping hand, like, your shoulders seem to be slumping from the weight of oppressing half the world's population. Let me carry some of that for you, King. 
<laughs> I feel like this definition plays into why claiming that a behavior is a result of internalized misogyny can be contentious. After all, we're essentially accusing people of working to progress a system that continues to marginalize and subordinate entire classes of human beings. But how is this done? Internalized misogyny manifests in various ways. The most ubiquitous example, at least on social media, is the pick-me archetype, or the I'm-not-like-other-girls trope, which are often used synonymously. You may know what these terms mean, but I'll define them for the sake of clarity and comprehensiveness. Urban Dictionary states that a pick-me is a woman that is willing to do anything for male approval. She will embarrass or throw other women under the bus to achieve this goal. The I'm not like other girls phenomenon occurs when young women distinguish themselves from other women and girls by claiming that they are not vapid and superficial as if those are the defining features of women, um, but rather thoughtful and complex. Unlike most girls, the not like other girls girl, or an analog, enjoys food, Netflix, video games, reading, and abstains from traditionally feminine activities like wearing makeup, skirts and dresses, and socializing. There's been a trend on TikTok which is largely tied to these concepts where a young woman will caption a video with the phrase, other girls don't like me because... and go on to describe a trait that furthers them from their femininity. Like the aforementioned food, video games, and wearing pants, I guess. <laughs> now you've heard me allude to this other girl a couple times, but who is she? The mysterious quote-unquote other girl is yet another archetype for women, defined by her preppy, girly, and trendy attire. The other girl is depicted pejoratively. Wherein lies the misogyny? In patriarchal societies, females and femininity are seen as inferior to males and masculinity. Everything that's commonly associated with women is weak or mindless or vain. I mean, name one thing that girls enjoy that hasn't been made fun of. I remember Lindsay Ellis making a video about how the Twilight series is the butt of so many jokes, in part because its target audience is young women. Traits commonly ascribed to women and girls are negative. Traits we should distance ourselves from. Traits I, and I'm sure plenty of young women, once pushed away, for a multitude of reasons. One claim is that women and girls subscribe to the unlock phenomenon as a means of acquiring male approval. At least that's what it seemed like according to the Urban Dictionary definition. You know, the most reliable resource. We claim that we don't like stereotypical feminine things because we want to be one of the guys. We crave validation from males. This undertones the statement some girls make about only having guy friends because girls are too much drama. <laughs> These sentiments are not only reflected by analogs, but also their close cousins, cool girls and the newer bra girls, who found their start on TikTok where they're contrasted to soft girls. There are so many titles I literally can't keep up. Um, <laughs> one scene which largely encapsulates what I'll call the male approval rationale for the aforementioned archetypes is the cool girl monologue in Gone Girl. You probably knew this was coming the moment I said cool girl, and I know everyone and their mothers cites this scene when discussing internalized misogyny. 
but it just so perfectly sums it up that I have to recreate it for y'all. I won't recite the whole script because it's a little long and two university level acting courses won't allow me to do justice to this literary masterpiece. But I will give you a shortened version. Men always say that as the defining compliment, don't they? She's a cool girl. Being the cool girl means that I'm a hot, brilliant, funny woman who adores football, poker, dirty jokes, and burping, who plays video games, drinks cheap beer, and jams hot dogs and hamburgers into her mouth like she's hosting the world's biggest culinary gangbang while somehow maintaining a size chill. Because cool girls are above all hot. Hot and understanding. Men actually think this girl exists. Maybe they're fooled because so many women are willing to pretend to be this girl. I used to see men, friends, coworkers, strangers, giddy over these awful pretender women. And I'd want to sit these men down and calmly say, you're dating a woman who has watched too many movies written by socially awkward men who'd like to believe that this kind of woman exists and might kiss them. And the cool girls are even more pathetic. They're not even pretending to be the woman they want to be. They're pretending to be the woman a man wants them to be. And scene. Going into this topic, I already felt a little iffy about using the desire for male approval to describe the behavior of N-logs, cool girls, broad girls, and whatever other reductive stereotype we come up with for women. My gripes with this explanation largely have to do with the fact that, yet again, we're putting men at the center of the behavior of women. We already have the villainous other girl practicing stereotypically feminine behaviors for the pleasure of the male gaze. She wears makeup, provocative clothing, is put together, and a social butterfly, all for the purposes of acquiring male attention, the heteronormativity of which we won't get into this session. But we also have pygmies who are literally named after their supposed attempts at acquiring the same male validation by denouncing the traditional feminine behaviors that other girls use to do the same. So you're gonna tell me that the other girl is doing things for male approval, but then the pick me who brings down the other girl is doing that for approval? Like, is that all our lives revolve around, just male approval? I suggest two other explanations for the unlock phenomenon that don't revolve around men. They are a longing for belonging and challenging gender norms. I think one of the reasons why so many women can recount stories of their youth where they claim to be not like other girls is because adolescence is strife with a desire for acceptance, and a lot of teens just don't get that. They may differ from the more popular kids or just most of the kids in their school, and so, as a means of coping with the feelings of inadequacy, they embrace their differences. We often don't realize that we're often very similar to our peers, particularly when we're young, because of two little things called the personal fable and the imaginary audience. That's right, I'm bringing psychology into this because I paid thousands of dollars for my education and I'm sure as hell gonna use it whenever I can. 
So what is this personal fable and imaginary audience I speak of? David Alkind, a prominent psychologist, developed a theory of adolescent egocentrism, essentially because of reasons, you know, of the biological and social sort. Teenagers think that they're the center of the world. They're the sun and the very floating rock on which we sit revolves around them. This manifests in two ways. The personal fable, which occurs when teens believe that their own feelings are unique and that they're special, and the imaginary audience, which occurs when teens anticipate the reactions of other people to themselves in actual or impending social situations. The personal fable is more applicable to this point that I'm trying to make here, but the imaginary audience also plays a role in the self-consciousness and insecurity which heighten in adolescence. Back to the issue at hand. You have young women who believe that their personal thoughts and experiences are not shared by anyone else and who feel marginalized by their peers. Naturally, they take those feelings and shut themselves off entirely from said peers. To cope with their insecurity, they begin adopting beliefs that they're better than their vain, narcissistic, obtuse classmates because they don't care about their looks or what other people think of them and they value intelligence and depth. The truth is, all human beings are complex and multifaceted. The final reason why young women may relate to the analog phenomenon is because they're using it to challenge stereotypically feminine traits and behaviors. Before we're even born, society enforces characteristics based on our biological sex. For gender reveal parties, blue is used to indicate boy and pink indicates girl. Once a girl enters the world, she is expected to conform to traditionally feminine roles. She is expected to enjoy girly things like makeup, jewelry, dresses, being proper. I'm starting to sound like a broken record, so I think you get the point. Because some girls feel restricted by such a rigid definition of what it means to be a woman, they rebel entirely, choosing to adopt what they deem to be the complete opposite of the aforementioned interests. It's why a lot of young girls and women hate the color pink with the heat of a thousand teenagers. Get it? Because I made the comparison between the sun and adolescence earlier. That was a callback. Something comedians such as myself used to create a sense of cohesion. Um, <laughs> I'll stop. I personally resonate with the challenging the status quo explanation um, the most. While I was incredibly insecure in high school, I didn't really feel different from my peers. We all had more or less the same socialization as Muslim children of immigrants, and it was such a tiny school that everyone knew each other. I also hated boys. I didn't befriend them, I didn't talk to them, I didn't even look at them, so clearly I had no interest in gaining their approval. What I was interested in was being different. <laughs> it's so gross just admitting it. Oh my god. Not only was I not like other girls, I was not like other people. Teenage Omenia was quite the contrarian. I remember when the whole debate over the infamous dress took place and all everyone was talking about was whether it was black and blue or white and gold. But I just remember being in English class and saying aloud that 
It doesn't matter what color the dress is because there are more important things to worry about and something as menial as an optical illusion pales in comparison to the wider social injustices that actually warrant our discussion. I cringe when I think about that late at night. I mean, I wasn't wrong, but my intentions weren't really to educate people. I just wanted to establish moral superiority and distinguish myself from the sheep I thought to be my classmates. Not cool. I know. But hey, we live and we learn! Although I disagree with the notion that some girls and women distance themselves from other girls and women because of men, that doesn't mean that we don't practice internalized misogyny in other ways. Take slut-shaming, for instance. Why is it that some women will police other women's bodies and criticize their sexuality? Why do some women take part in victim-blaming survivors of sexual assault? Why are some women just so concerned with the bodies of other women that it's just gross? Like, get a hobby. <laughs> the politicizing of women's bodies becomes even more dangerous when issues like abortion get involved. The pro-life movement and the laws it promotes can be detrimental for women who seek safe abortions for whatever reason. And protests are largely driven by female protesters. Our fellow women are advocating for the control of our bodies and the obstruction of our reproductive rights. On the topic of politics, you have Women for Trump, a cult, sorry, coalition of females who endorsed the raging misogynist who was recorded condoning sexual assault. The ex-leader of the free world condoned sexual assault and subsequently put a rapist on the supreme court where you don't get fired babes you stay there till you die and there's a horde of women who support him tell me that's not some deeply ingrained misogyny and just all around self-hatred in need of some serious unlearning next up we have good old-fashioned female competition. In films and television, we often see girls and women pitted against one another, and we reflect this behavior in real life. There's a lot of what psychologists call relational aggression amongst some female relationship that works to undermine and manipulate. We may find ourselves comparing our bodies to that of other women, sometimes bringing them down in an effort to make ourselves feel better. Some women may envy another woman's looks, which stems from the fallacy that someone else's beauty is the absence of or in any way diminishes our own. You know, two pretty people can exist, unlike that creepy green-eyed guy said in that TikTok. There are two pretty best friends, babes. There's also the matter of heterosexual relationships where a male will cheat on his significant other and the so-called side chick he cheated on will get all the blame. Instead of getting mad and retaliating against the man who betrayed her trust and was disloyal, the woman attacks the person who doesn't have any obligations or promises of loyalty to her, blaming the quote-unquote other woman for men's infidelity is just nonsense particularly in cases where the other woman had no idea of a pre-existing relationship when men cheat the woman they cheated on can't keep a man and the woman they cheated with is a homewrecker when the sole responsibility should go on the cheater himself
In conclusion, I find it absolutely fascinating that we have all these archetypes of women when men only have the occasional nice guy, fuck boy, Greek letter followed by the term male, like, you know, the alpha, beta, omega, delta, sigma, gamma, kappa, gamma, the works. <laughs> I'm sure more exist, but you really have to look for them. Whereas reductive stereotypes of women are readily available in the media and are much more notable. In this session, I mentioned the pick-me's, the not-like-other-girls girl, the other girl, the cool girl, the bra girl, the soft girl, and the side chick. Some more examples very similar to the ones I already discussed include the basic bitch, who's similar to the other girl, the visco girl, who is categorized as basic, and the list goes on and on. There are so many. It's like we're different Barbie doll editions to be collected. Like... Get your 2021 holiday home record today. <laughs> I just keep thinking of that popular meme where two pictures are shown and one includes a woman wearing sweats with no makeup and the other shows a woman dressed up with full glam and the caption reads, Get you a girl that can do both. As if it's hard to find complex women capable of expressing duality. <laughs> In fact, I think the actual rarity is finding a woman who exclusively dresses up or only dresses down. It's just unfortunate that women and girls are constantly reduced to diminutive stereotypes. So let's all work to dismantle the patriarchy, not maintain it. If you found this episode in any way helpful, please consider sharing it with a friend. I just want to reach as many people as I possibly can so I can make the most impact. I'm signing off this session, but before I leave, I'd just like to remind you that things will get better. So stay optimistic. Just don't be complicit. Until next time.